Well, appropriately this morning, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 1, since it's Christmas season. So if you brought your Bible with you and you want to open up with me to Luke chapter 1, we'll be uh, looking at verses 46 to 56 this morning. And, and here's what they say as soon as I get my Bible open to the right page. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then returned home. That song that I just read is known in some circles as the Magnificat. That the Magnificat is actually from the, the Latin translation of this song, and it's the word, let the Lord be praised. It's, it's that word. And that's what Mary's doing here. She is praising the Lord, her heart is overflowing with joy that she's gotten to be chosen as the mother of the Savior. What an incredible blessing for her. It wasn't always easy for Mary. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a, in a moment a little bit more about that. But there was a moment, I'm sure, where Mary was struggling big time. A young teenage girl. Maybe, maybe not even a teenage girl. 12, 13, 14 years old. At, at oldest, maybe 18 or 19. She's already betrothed to be married, which in this day and age means you are already married. Uh, an engagement is a marriage, and in fact... After you got engaged, you were called husband and wife, and in order to break that up, you had to get a divorce, even though the marriage, hadn't, the marriage ceremony hadn't happened yet. It was a very, very big deal. Mary lived in a small town. Anybody here ever lived in a small town? And the Holy Spirit comes and says, you're going to be the mother of the Savior. And, you know, that's a wonderful piece of news until you have to face your betrothed and say, I'm pregnant miraculously. It, it just happened as an announcement from God. Joseph was not impressed. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was of a mind to divorce her quietly because he was a man of character, but divorce her nevertheless. 
Can you imagine the reaction of the other people in this small town? If you've lived in a small town, you can probably guess what the reaction was. And how Mary felt about that. Do you think she felt filled with joy when all of her neighbors started to shun her? Treat her as if she had been unfaithful to this great guy, Joseph? Here she is, this young lady, and we all know how it is. Just think about your high school daughters. How tough it is during those years for them already. I don't know whose idea it was exactly, but Mary decides to go and visit Elizabeth, a relative, a family member. And there she's able to kind of go away and find some quiet. And when she comes to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, who's an older lady, member of the family, shockingly is herself pregnant with a gentleman who will be known as John the Baptist. And that baby, when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's, leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth shares this with Mary. And Mary, who already knows something pretty unique and special and miraculous is going on, obviously, be hard to avoid that, at, at last finally gets some encouragement from another human being. Some joy. And, and I want you to think about times in your own life where maybe things have just been going amazingly well, miraculously well. And then all of a sudden something comes in and your reputation is on the line. Your savings are on the line. Your key relationships are on the line. And how do you find joy in those moments? To go from here to here at a moment's notice, surprisingly and unexpectedly, not planned at all, you're not ready for it, you're not prepared for it, but here it is. How do you find your joy? How do you rediscover joy? You know, one of the things that um, I've been involved with for a significant part of my ministry is recovery ministry. And helping people that have addictions that they're struggling with. And one of the big reasons that people often get stuck into addictions is purely because they can't find their joy. They can't find peace over the things that are happening in their life. It's hard to find their smile. And in the midst of that, there are triggers. Maybe you've heard of triggers. There are these things that threaten to carry you back into your addiction and rob you even more so of your joy. And, and in addictions, they use an acronym, HALT. And I, I think this is a great acronym, not only if you're in treatment for an addiction, it's, it's a great acronym for the Christmas season of the year, where we're up here, and all of a sudden, things start to happen that threaten to bring you down here, and that's a big gap. Are you hungry? And, and by the way, 
this doesn't just have to mean hungry for food, although definitely when I'm hungry, I get hangry. But, but what, if you're, what if you're really hoping for something and you're just hungry for that thing? I once knew a young lady. <laughs> she was absolutely convinced that Christmas was going to bring an engagement to her, that her longtime boyfriend was finally going to propose at Christmas. And she was hungry, not hungry in her stomach, but hungry in her heart. When it didn't happen, her joy evaporated because of that hunger. So, are you hungry? For food? Yeah, sure. But for anything else, are you angry? Anyone here holding a grudge? Let's raise our hands. No, you don't have to. And grudges. And we're Christians, we know grudges are not spiritually healthy for us. But did you know how emotionally unhealthy it is for you as well? Psychologists estimate that up to 85% of psychological disorders of every kind are, are caused by anger that has not been resolved. So if you are angry, it's really true. You're, you're trying to poison someone else, but it's really poisoning you. Don't hold on to anger and grudges. Lonely, that's a big one at Christmas time, isn't it? Where maybe family's not around, or there's been a, a split and a big argument in the family, and where am I going to go for Christmas dinner this year? I got no place. A lot of times at Christmas time, People lose their joy because they're lonely. And then finally, <laughs> what season of the year makes us tireder than Christmas time? I don't know if there is one. As bright as the lights are, as beautiful as the Christmas trees, as wonderful as the Christmas songs, I think most of us are running to and fro trying to make Christmas a great time of year for our families. And man, can it be exhausting. So why do I put this up here? Because as we are now in, in smack dab in the middle of the Christmas season, if you are any of these, you are at greater risk of using or falling into old destructive habits. And of course, that's not what we want for any of ourselves, to fall into old habits that are simply self-destructive. So here's the question. How are you going to reclaim your joy? And is there a way? And, I, and my point for today's message is absolutely there's a way. There's a wonderful way. And we can find it. We can discover it in how Mary dealt with her own struggles from going from the top of the mountain, being talked to by the angel Gabriel himself, down to the bottom of the mountain. And here she is in recovery mode. Where, where does she find the joy to sing the Magnificat. Let's take a look. So, first question is how we find joy. You can fill that in. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Where does Mary find her joy? Well, pick up on a few key words here. Notice she mentions her soul which means she's focused on the most important part of her. Not her body, not her heart, not her mind, but her soul. And she realizes that if she can reconnect her soul to Jesus, to God, to the Savior, she's going to find her joy. George Whitefield is an interesting guy. He was a, a, a huge evangelist in uh, the 1700s. I mean, majorly huge. He was the Billy Graham of his day, except for he didn't have a, a television or even a sound system that he could use to project his voice, yet he drew such big crowds with his gospel preaching that estimates went as high as 18, 19, 20,000 people Benjamin Franklin heard about George Whitefield, and he thought it was all a myth, that no one could actually teach and preach and project to the point where 15,000, 20,000 people could hear you. And so Benjamin Franklin, who later became a friend of Whitefield's, went to one of his evangelical sermons, and mind you, Whitefield was from England sailed back and forth across the Atlantic something like 13 times, which is an amazing feat in and of itself, and survived, to come to America. And, and Franklin reckoned from, he actually paced it off. How far out can I go from his pulpit? And he estimated from that circumference that Whitefield could have actually probably preached to 30,000 people and been heard. Now, that's quite the microphone of a voice. But Whitefield, who drew such large crowds, also had his own struggles. When he got married, he and his wife started trying to have children. And one after another, four times, they had a miscarriage. And this almost broke him and his wife and their relationship. Finally, they had a child. But the child only survived four months and died. It was the last attempt they made. Can you imagine the grief? Can you imagine the depth of that sadness, trying so hard, desiring a child, wanting to be a dad, a mom? Well, Take a look at what Whitefield said. I was delivered from the burden that had so heavily oppressed me. He, he was grieving, obviously, and needed to grieve. But at some point, he got delivered from his grief. The spirit of mourning was taken from me, and I knew what it was to truly rejoice in what? In the very thing that we see Mary rejoicing in God her Savior. In fact, it's almost like Whitefield is re-singing in his own words from his own experience the words of the Magnificat. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how dreary, 
no matter how much my hunger is not satisfied, and in my tiredness I can get no rest, and in my anger I can't get to forgiveness, and I have no one to help me, I'm, I'm bitterly lonely here. I've got no friends, no family. Jesus Christ is still here for me. Jesus Christ is still my Savior. Jesus Christ's love for me is still faithful. Jesus Christ is my companion. He's the satisfaction of all my hunger. His forgiveness which was poured out on me is the relief to all my anger. He says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so here's what I want you to write down. True joy always revolves around our relationship with God. You want to have an ongoing well, a source that never runs dry, a spring that's always flowing of joy? No matter what life circumstances are, it revolves around your relationship with Jesus. That's what Whitefield learned. That's what Mary was discovering as she sang the Magnificat. But there's an interesting thing about joy maybe you've noticed. Joy is a little bit like a mirage. In Arizona, during the summer, it gets so hot that as you're driving down the road, Phil, you can probably remember this, maybe out in the country in the desert, on the road, you see what looks like puddles, water. And it's just heat waves coming off of the road because it's so hot. But it's convinc it convincingly looks like water sitting on the road, and you drive toward it, and as you drive toward it, you discover it's a total mirage created by those heat waves, and it disappears. The closer you try to get to it, it's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You ever tried to chase down the end of a rainbow? You'll never find it. As clear and distinct as it seems at the end of a rainstorm. Joy's a little bit like that at times. If we go directly for joy, we'll find it hard. And that's because joy, follow me on this little metaphor here, joy is a molecule. Now, what, what do I mean by Joy is a molecule. Well, what I mean is a molecule is made up of various component atoms. All right? So, you know, if, if you want to build a molecule, you can't just pick one of the atoms and go after that. When these bond together, they create virtually a new substance. And in order to be able to get whatever this substance is, made up of oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, and nitrogen atoms. You've got to find the component parts. Well, that's what I want to ask next. You want to discover your joy? You want to find that well of joy that's constant and faithful? Let's back up a step and find what are the component parts of joy, which Mary kindly provides for us. So let's take a look at the precursor elements of joy. That's your next fill-in. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. So how does Mary get to this in the midst of all these struggles, not being able to find a lot of support in her hometown, hiding out in in the home of Elizabeth? She gets there. If you look carefully, now follow me. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Does Mary seem grateful to you? Take a look at the passage. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. I'm blessed. That's just another way to say I'm grateful. So Mary's heart is filled with gratitude. Here's another question. Does Mary's heart have faith in it? Is she trusting when she says these words? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I I see faith there. And finally, what about worship? The Magnificat was a song. And in these words, do you sense worship, lifting up, raising up God, magnifying the name of God, saying, God, it is you who are great. I'm humble. I'm lowly. I'm not much. But you, God, are amazing. That's the essence of worship. You see those? What you're seeing are the atoms of the molecule that is joy. So, this is where it gets practical. If you want to rediscover your joy, instead of chasing joy directly, where you're going to drive down the road and find the water disappearing, you're going to search for the rainbow and discover that you're just chasing something that doesn't seem to, you don't ever seem to get to, instead chase these things. Do you have a habit a practice, a discipline, if you like, of stopping each day for a moment of gratitude? Do you have a habit or a practice where you take a moment to say, Lord, I trust you. I know you've done great things for me. All I have to know about that is the cross and the empty tomb. Everything else from there is it's frosting. But knowing the cross and the empty tomb and all the other things, by the way, that you do for me, I know you're with me. I know you'll help me. I trust you. I lean into you and I lean into your promises. Do you take a moment each day? Maybe it's just in your car. Maybe you keep a journal. I know some of my friends in this church are faithful about keeping journals every day, where they write down their worshipful thoughts. Maybe it's just turning on a worship song on the radio as you're driving into work, but do you take these moments of your day, do you build habits and disciplines that allow you to express your gratitude, your faith, and your worship? Because if you do that, and if you do that faithfully, 
Well, the, the way I would put it is, when I lived in Africa, you probably already know this, but people didn't have water piped into their homes. They either went down to the river or... <laughs> Usually, this is one of the young girls carried a, a bucket on her head and sometimes one on each shoulder and went to the well. Now, amazing balance to be able to carry multiple buckets, much less one on your head. I've tried it many times, can't do it. <laughs> she knew where the well was. She filled the, the bucket with water and back she came to the village. And what I'm telling you is where the well is. The well of joy is found in those moments of gratitude that you take every day in your life. The well of joy is found when you worship God and when you express your faith in Him. So write this down. I'm telling you how to find the well. Gratitude, faith, and worship always precede joy. These are the atoms of the molecule of joy. Gratitude, faith, and worship. And when we do that, we can be assured that God is going to be so present. Look at Psalm 16 and 11. You make known to me the path of life in your presence, in God's presence. And that's what we're doing when we express gratitude, faith, uh, and, and the, those components of joy. There's fullness of joy in God's presence. We're coming into His presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right, last point, and maybe this is, for this morning, the most important one of all. Does God mean joy for you? And it's a serious question, you know, because some people have convinced themselves that my life is so hard, and I'm so unique, and I've dug such a hole for myself, and... I've made myself miserable, and there's no answer for that. Maybe some of you know that God has tried many times to hand you his joy, and you've been like, mm, not today, Lord. And you're like, well, maybe God's given up. Maybe God doesn't intend me to be joyful. Is that true? So let's ask, for whom joy is intended? And Mary tells us about that too in the Magnificat. She says, because he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up, take your pen and underline these words, lifted up the humble. But he doesn't stop there. If you're feeling lowly and humble, God wants you to have joy. And... Wait, there's more. He has filled the hungry. Do you have unfulfilled desires? Are there, are there things going on where you're saying to yourself, if only, if only, then I'd be joyful? Are you hungry? Well, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has... And here's the third H word. I'm on an H theme here. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. This is beautiful. And it's not just promised in this song of Mary. Look at Luke chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching 
in the Beatitudes. You remember what Jesus says as he introduces his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes? Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice. There's the word joy. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Here's your last filling. God intends joy for those who are humble. Maybe this is you. Or hungry. Or in need of help. And the joy that God has for you runs so deep. So I want you to think about those directions to the well I gave you. You can find the well yourself. God wants you to go to this well. If you're humble, hungry, if today you're sitting here going, I I don't know what to do. Can somebody please help me? Those are signs to go to the well. Those are signs that you have a thirst that only the Lord Jesus Christ can slake. Those are signs, humble, hungry, in need of help, that should tell you, put the bucket on your head. Go down to the little well or the riverside and and fill it with the water of joy that Jesus has for you. And he does have it for you. He intends it for you, no matter how tough your circumstances are right now. And can I ask you to develop some habits based on the joy that Jesus wants you to have? Take a moment every day during this Christmas season. I know it's busy. I know it's crazy. But I want you to find your joy in the midst of this season. So build in some moments of gratitude, some moments of faith, some moments of worship into your Christmas season. You know, sometimes if you just pop the radio on in your car, you can kill two birds with one stone even. It's not that hard. And if you are a journaler, oh my goodness, that's powerful. Maybe this Christmas season you start your own gratitude journal or worship journal. God wants you to have this joy and he says, here it is in my son, Jesus, your savior. This little baby in a manger, one day he's going to be on a cross. And just a few days after that, he'll be walking out of a tomb saying, you are no longer victims but victors because I have accomplished the victory over death, over sin, over Satan, the devil, that only I could accomplish, but now I am giving that accomplishment to you as I guess we could call it a Christmas gift. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll say the Apostles' Creed. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have 
one victory for us through your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. May that victory bring us victory joy every day of our life. And Lord, may we always find things to be grateful for in you, things to worship you for, things to be able to praise about you every day because we know that as we do that, we are walking to the well of joy, pulling together the very things that we need to find our joy every day. Lord, fill us with your spirit to do these things. Even when we are humble, hungry, in need of help, Fill us with your spirit so that we have the power to walk to the well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join me, if you will, in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.